on it. Is, is that correct? And, and there's a particular reason I did that. I was hoping this morning as we talk a little bit about, oh, we on? Yeah. Talking this morning, and this is always a real concern of mine. Anytime I read the Word of God or anytime you read the Word of God, I want to make sure that we're just not reading information, reading stories. Because this is the living, vibrant work person of God himself by the Holy Spirit who is communicating to us himself. And the primary communication of that to the church is, I love you. I love my people. You are my people. And if you've been married for any length of time or you are a mother or daddy or your child, I mean, I think that hits everybody. <laughs> Did I leave anybody out? Married, child. <laughs> you know that to hear, I love you, but never to experience it is not sufficient. How many of us know that? We need to experience God's love. So this morning, what I'm hoping is that you'll listen, take notes as you will, but listen because I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to experience something of Palm Sunday, not just gather information, and there will be information here. And so as a result of that, I didn't give you notes. It doesn't mean you don't have to take notes or you shouldn't take notes, but I just didn't want you to be preoccupied. Where is he here? He didn't say that. What about that? That happens occasionally. <clears throat> so let's be opening our Bibles to Matthew 21, 1 through 9. And as everyone knows, today is Palm Sunday. Is that a surprise to anyone? And this morning, I want to read this account from Matthew and by the way, all four Gospels have the account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on this particular first day of the week. So Matthew 21, 1 through 9. <clears throat> now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, <clears throat> go into the village in front of you and immediately... You will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a coat, the fowl of a donkey, a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. <clears throat> and they brought the donkey and the coat and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So let's look for a moment to see what that might have looked like. 
that particular morning. Jesus of Nazareth. He's a prophet. A great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey? to see this because I think sometimes we forget what it would have looked like this was a jubilant celebration Jerusalem which is which was flooded by people for the Passover thousands of people were there from all over the Roman Empire for the day of Pentecost um, Passover and they see something what is all the excitement about? You see, why so much excitement this time? Let's, forget, let's, not remember, let's not forget, Jesus has been to Jerusalem before, and there hasn't been this kind of excitement before. I mean, he was here last year. He was here the year before, and probably the year before that. So he's been here before. Why this time? What made the difference this time? What were they seeing and what were they expecting as they watched this man ride into town? Also, what was Jesus' purpose for the way he entered and on the day he entered? Why did he enter the way he did and why did he enter on the day he did? So let's look at some of these things, and this morning what we're going to do is seek to determine the meaning of Palm Sunday to the crowd, the meaning of Palm Sunday to Jesus, 
and the meaning of Palm Sunday to us. Father, thank you for the work of your spirit. Father, thank you that your word being communicated is never dependent upon the vessel, but is dependent on your power. So, Father, no matter how we sound this morning, Father, would you by your spirit do an exemplary work as you always do? Father, causing us to have a greater and deeper understanding of this day to the Lord Jesus and to you. Father, may this day and its meaning impact us, not just for this week, which typically is called Holy Week, but impact us for the rest of our days. Father, thank you for this. Minister this morning as only you can do and only you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you see, the, the city is filled with worshipers. And they, they see Jesus coming in in an unusual way, in a unique way, but in a very wonderful way. Now, why did they burst forth in praise? What caused them to burst forth in praise? You see, what they were reacting to was not just a man riding into the city on a donkey. They weren't just reacting to, this is Jesus, the one who has been doing all these miracles. But they were seeing in Jesus the way he entered. They were seeing something that had been promised from the Garden of Eden. A deliverer, a Messiah. They saw in this man there expected and anticipated and long-awaited deliverer, the one who would overthrow the Roman oppression and reestablish Israel as a great national power again. Why did they see this? What did they see? What was it about the donkey that caused them to burst into jubilation? Well, there are a number of scriptures in the Old Testament that we could look at, but we're only going to look at two representative scriptures which speak about the significance of God's Messiah, of the long-awaited Redeemer coming into the city on a donkey. The first one is from 1 Kings chapter 1, 29 to 33. When they see Jesus riding on a donkey, they remember that scripture. And they also remember the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. So these are two that they are remembering. They see more. There are many more scriptures than just these two. But these are two representative scriptures that I felt we should understand this morning. What about 1 Kings 1, 29 and 33? What was it about this particular scripture that lit them. The background of 1 Kings chapter 1, David has, he's an old man, he's dying. And he has, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, God has spoken to David and says, your son Solomon shall sit on my throne. He shall be your heir. And so there's a rebellion. One of David's sons is trying to become king. 
So in order to announce and establish Solomon as the rightful God-ordained heir of Israel to the throne of Israel, listen to what David says. <clears throat> David swore in saying, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. The king said to his servants, have Solomon, my son, ride on my own donkey. You see, this was David's public announcement, his public authentication that Solomon is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And so when the people see this, they remember <clears throat> this is what David did to tell the nation that his son Solomon is the rightful king. So they see that. But they also see the prophecy being fulfilled of Zechariah 9.9. So listen to this as they remember these words, which you heard quoted in the film and also you heard quoted in Matthew. <clears throat> Rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly, O son, a daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey. So when they put the two scriptures together when they put David's practice together with the prophecy of Zechariah 9 9 when they put the two together in their minds and rightly so they are seeing the fulfillment in their own lifetime now think about what this would have meant to us had we been there we've been conquered we've been subjugated we're, we're heavily taxed you know these people are destroying us there's just a terrible terrible oppression here and all of a sudden we believe that the person who is coming through the gates of the city is the king who will destroy and overthrow rome would we be excited thank you you would be excited gina would be excited we would be excited now you see this morning i can't do any loudness here but these are times for great rejoicing because the people are seeing their king coming in. This is David's royal son. This is the Messiah. So no wonder they say, son of David. And so to affirm this and confirm this, this is what Matthew says. And they spread their cloaks on the ground and others spread them the branches on the ground. Why? Why were they doing that? Because you see, the palm branches were symbols of peace. And what they were doing was not only waving to Jesus as we do to parades around here, but they were literally giving him, putting on the ground the palm leaves and their cloaks. They were literally giving him the red carpet treatment to enter Jerusalem. This is the king. And this is a red carpet treatment for him to enter as a royal person. But what else? They were not only waving palm branches. They were not only putting their cloaks on the ground and the palm branches on the ground. But what were they saying? What word did they say? Hosanna. 
Hosanna. The son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What does that word mean? I mean, we regularly sing hymns around here. And I don't know whether all the time we are in touch with what some of these words mean. Do we know what the word hallelujah means? <clears throat> a haleo is a praise, is a blessing, is a eulogy, is a bragging upon. And Yah is the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So when we say hallelujah, what we're saying is may the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may God himself be praised. That's what we're saying when we say hallelujah. It means something. Well, what does the word hosanna mean? It means it's the Hebrew for Lord, save us. In Psalm 118, 25, David says these words. He says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. <clears throat> and so it's a combination of a couple of Hebrew words for save us and success and coming together. And it comes out, Hosanna. And so it's a prayer and it's a praise offering to God. David is not only asking for God to save the nation and save him, but also thanking him for doing it. Now, don't we do that also? Don't we thank God for saving us? Don't we also, don't we also call upon the name of the Lord to keep us saved, to manage our lives, to cause us to grow in salvation? Do we also pray that way? So this is what Hosanna means. So what was happening? What was happening was the people were seeing Jesus announcing himself as David's royal heir to the throne of Israel as the Lord had promised David. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is what the Lord had told David. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, a son, you see, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so Jesus coming into town this way, riding a donkey the way David had his son ride the donkey, as the authenticating process, this is the royal heir. Obey him, listen to him. This is the king. And putting together <clears throat> the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, your king comes, how? Riding a donkey. Again, why a donkey? Because you see, in those days in that area, donkeys were symbols of peace. The stallion was a symbol of war. You see, Julius Caesar didn't enter any city on a donkey. He came to destroy. But Jesus is presenting himself to the nation as the king of peace the king of peace. And so he enters Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Jerusalem, peace. He's entering that way to say, <clears throat> I am your king. I am the one who will bring you peace with God. Peace forever. And as a result, peace with one another. 
So he's entering as, if you would, the peacemaker, if you would, allow me to say it that way. Now, that's what the crowds thought. Now, were the crowds correct? Yes and no. Was Jesus coming in as a conquering king to overthrow the Roman oppression? No, at least not the way they thought. Not as a political, warfaring, get an army together. But he was coming in to overthrow oppression. But he was coming in to overthrow a, an oppression that was far worse and dominating and controlling and vicious and malevolent than any empire that the world has ever seen. He was coming in to overthrow the oppression of Satan. But they didn't understand that. So they were right and they were wrong. Now, what does Palm Sunday mean to Jesus? We've seen what it means to the crowds. <clears throat> what does it mean to Jesus? You see, Jesus has been anticipating and looking forward to and planning and contemplating this day since his baptism in the river of Jordan. When this man allows John the Baptist and actually tells John the Baptist to baptize him, he says, I want you to do this because I want to announce to the world the central reason I am here. And so remember, John puts him underneath the water and brings him up. Therefore, that's why we baptize the way we do. <clears throat> and it was a symbol that in himself and by himself, this one man would bear all the sin of all his people for all time at the cross. And when Jesus went under the water, that was a symbol of the old, sinful, Satan-dominated, manipulating humanity dying. So that when Jesus rose from the water, that was a symbol of the Son of God coming forth in victory. No wonder the heavens open and the voice of God the Father says what? This is my agapitos, my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. Because, see, he has come to do the Father's will at any cost to himself. Jesus knows this. <clears throat> and so, I don't know, I can't verify this, but I would expect that as Jesus day by day walked the dusty roads, spoke to the people, interacted with the crowds and the Pharisees and those who loved him and those who opposed and hated him, I would expect that every day, this day, some kind of way was on his mind. So let's look at the way he entered. Matthew 21, 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village and you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. It's not, you see, just that Jesus would like to have a donkey. But he needs this. Why? Because God has proclaimed through prophecy 
that his anointed royal son will enter the city on a donkey. Therefore, what? Jesus had to enter on a donkey. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Matters very much. Why did he need a donkey? Because, you see, Jesus was fulfilling purposefully the scriptures about his own purpose. There were some things in Jesus' life that scriptures were being fulfilled that I don't say he didn't have anything to do with, but at least he wasn't making people the way that the anger of the crowds and the rejection. That is a fulfillment of scripture. And that's a result of him just passing through life. But this was a purposeful decision. And we need to see this. Because what happens at the end of this week is the most horrific and barbaric account that has ever happened to any man. And this man takes upon himself the full weight of all the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could be freed and forgiven to become the children of God. He knows what's ahead of him. He knows what's ahead of him. Yet he purposefully sets his face like flint toward Jerusalem, Luke tells us. How many of us have a pretty good idea that there's some difficulty ahead of us? You're going through issues, relationships, whatever it is. Or the people here that you know next week or the next week or whatever is going to be really difficult. Really difficult. And how often do we try to get out of that rather than to say, Lord, I want you to show me what your will is. If this your will to purposefully walk into that lion's den, I will do it because I know you're with me. Because you see, Jesus has suffered the greatest, and he's with us all the time. Zechariah, the prophecy there about your king coming in, as I said, is confirmed by Matthew. So why does Jesus do it? Because he wanted to do it. He needed to do it. Why does he do it? Because it's the way God will save his people. Why does he do it? Because it is the only way that Jesus proclaims the glory and the honor and the worth that belongs to God through his unswerving obedience to God. Now, what about the day? What's so, is this a particularly significant day? I mean, have you noticed in the Gospel of John, when John talks about this day, he says in the beginning of the chapter, six days before the Passover. You say, why did he tell us that? I mean, I don't care how many days, so what? You know, this day, that day, don't, don't bother me with difficulty like that. But there's a reason. There's a reason Jesus came in on this day. Again, Another fulfillment of the purpose of God. Jesus not only chose the way, he chose the day. So he chose the way, he chose to be the announcing that of himself as the king of Israel. 
Yes, Jesus announced himself as the promised Messiah, but he announced himself by having this prophecy shouted out by the people to show that I am the king and I am the Messiah. But as we'll see in a moment, there's a particular way, there's a particular path, there's a particular day that I must walk in in order to fulfill this prophecy. Because prophecy isn't just willy-nilly fulfilled. Oh, God said it and he'll do it. Prophecy is fulfilled by the predetermined decree of God as he uses circumstances and people coming together to do his will. How will he fulfill it? By shedding his blood. Jesus knows that when he enters Jerusalem on that Sunday morning, he knows what's ahead of him by the end of the week. So what day is Palm Sunday? What day was this first Palm Sunday? What was the date? What was the date on the Hebrew calendar? Well, it is called the 10th day of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. It's the 10th of Nisan. Now, why is that significant? Why couldn't it have gone the 9th or the 11th? Why the 10th? You see, because on the 10th, the sacrificial lambs were being brought into the city to be inspected for the next several days for any blemish, anything that was wrong about them. So if they were found to be without blemish, these were the lambs that would be sacrificed on Passover to celebrate the Lord's deliverance of his people. So listen to how God prescribes this. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, he's telling Moses, Moses, I'm sending the death angel. And every firstborn in Egypt is going to die. Every firstborn in Egypt will die. Unless you take a lamb and the household takes a lamb. And you bring it into your home on the 10th. And you let it live with you for those days. Now, can you imagine bringing in a little lamb and having your little children get real close to that lamb? And you know what? We're going to have to kill the lamb. And as that little lamb remained with the family, they scrupulously inspected it because, you see, the Lord would not accept blemished sacrifices. Went through the wool and looked at it, the teeth and, the, you know, everything. And it had to be, in a natural sense, without spot. And then on the day of Passover on the 15th, then the lamb was slain. And the blood was applied to the doorpost and the lentil, having been poured in the basin. And so the entire <clears throat> doorway for an Israelite home in Goshen, in Egypt, on that night, was literally surrounded by blood. And what does the Lord say? Every firstborn will die 
except for those where I see what? The blood. But you see, what we miss here is this. Every firstborn in Israel died that night. Samuel, every firstborn in Israel died that night. You saw that in the scripture, didn't you? Every firstborn died that night. But how? Every firstborn who was covered by the blood died in the death of the sacrificial lamb. Wow. Jesus comes into the city on the tent. And he's fulfilling the prophecy of John the Baptist. Do you remember in John 1, 29, John sees Jesus. Mm. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Israel has been waiting for thousands of years. And finally, there he is. He has come to die for our sin. That's the Lamb of God. So Jesus enters on the 10th of Nisan. In order to fulfill the prescription that God gave his people for this first festival of the seven Levitical festivals. You see, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was <clears throat> presenting himself as the sacrificial lamb spoken of by John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? In order to atone for our sin. You remember what 1 John 4.10 says. This is what love looks like. Not that we have first loved God, but that he has first loved us. How? How has God first loved us? What did he do? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propiti what? I mean, you have to be careful when you say that. You'll spit on somebody. Propitiation. What does it mean? It means a putting away of the just and rightful wrath of God because of our sin. It means of putting away the wrath. And Jesus himself will bear the full wrath of a holy God that was due to us because of our sin. Not because he's Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, or whateverist. But because Jesus takes our sin upon himself. And he becomes the propitiating sacrifice. The one in whose body is born the full fury of a holy and righteous wrath 
because of sin. You see, our greatest danger as human beings when we're born into the world is not that we're going to get cancer or you won't grow up right or you'll be malformed or you won't win the best-looking prize or whatever. Our greatest danger is facing God. while we still bear our sin because it is absolutely guaranteed that anyone who stands before this holy, majestic, sovereign God of ours, this flaming fire of purity, And if you stand before him with even one sin, one time, even what? One sin, one time. What? One sin, one time. You will be consigned forever and ever to be under the eternal wrath of a holy God. Why? Because you see, one sin, even one, one time, against an eternal being becomes an eternal offense because God himself is eternal. And it takes the eternal son of God in this mystery of the cross to be able to experience the eternal wrath of a holy God in himself for a prescribed period of time. It doesn't make sense. But that's what's happening. Why did Jesus have to die? To pay the full penalty and price for all of our sin. You see, this Palm Sunday was the beginning of the single most important week in the history of humanity since Genesis 3-6. What is Genesis 3-6? And she gave the fruit to her husband and he ate. Ever since that day, God has been working steadily, persistently, For this day, Palm Sunday begins the most significant week in the history of humanity. See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week when the Lamb of God will be inspected by the religious leaders and by Pilate himself. And none of them will find any fault in Jesus. You remember, the religious leaders didn't find fault in him. They trumped it up. Do you remember that? Did you you read your book? It was trumped up. Pilate said, look, I can find what? What does he say? I can find no fault in him. Luke 23, 4. There's nothing wrong with this man. The religious establishment And the secular establishment joined together in agreement. This man is innocent. You notice I didn't say he's not guilty. I said something better. 
It's not that Jesus is not guilty because I'm not guilty and neither are you of sin because of the forgiveness. Jesus is innocent. And there will be, is now, and will always be only one innocent man in heaven. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is now and always will be only one innocent man in heaven. What's his name? Jesus Christ the Lord. And we who are with him, in him, having been saved by him, we will be where he is as long as he is there. And how long is he going to be there? A long time. You see, we won't even be maintained in heaven apart from the enduring, eternal life of this resurrected, innocent man who became a sin bearer so that we could be declared not guilty. Do a comparative religion study. And you go see if anybody else is close to this. Oh, they got something here, a little bit. That, that, that. And you watch these TV things. Oh, but Zoroasterism has it. And this, that. <laughs> Don't watch them. Oh, isn't that intellectually unsound? Make sure if you do watch any of those programs, you are stable in your word first. Because there have been many believers who have really been rocked badly as they have sought out with curiosity what is out there without having enough of a foundation to keep them steady. So if you want to find out what it's all about out there, study your word first for about a year. Study, study, study. And then go out and find out. You see, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week when the living word of God will expose and destroy the works of Satan. Praise God, let's say something this morning about it. 1 John 3.8, for the Son of God has appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of Satan. This is what that retreat is all about. There are couples over there who are seeking the work of God that he accomplished in his son to be more effectively at work in them. Men in this congregation are seeking, hopefully, to walk with God in such a way that they are cooperating with the Holy Spirit's power in them so that the work that Jesus did at the cross to break the control of Satan. Oh, I want that. I want that so badly. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week when the rule of sin over God's people will be put to an end, culminating in death's death at the cross. Amen. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week which will culminate in the doors of heaven being thrown wide open to the forgiven people of God. Can you say amen? 
can we get more excited about this than we do the trivial things in life? Come on, church. What is the matter? Oh, they say, oh, don't do that. No, we need to rejoice and let our God know that, and others know this is big. It's even bigger than if Kentucky wins the final four. Or Louisville. Oh, I don't know. That's right. I don't know anything about sports. Okay. Sorry about that. My wife teaches me. This day. Hmm. Jesus was grabbing a hold of Satan and ripping him down. So that when he rose from the dead, he grabs a hold of the door of heaven, having already said in John 10, 7, I am the door. And he opens it up. Remember Psalm 24 this morning, lift up your heads, O your gates, and be lifted up the everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Lift up your heads, O your gates, and the king of glory, what, will come in. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week which will culminate in the greatest travail producing the greatest triumph. Oh, I know. And, and I do know. I really do. And so if you feel this way, I'm not making fun of you. I know. I suffer so much. I mean, this, this thing I have right now been several days of, you know, wobbliness and, you know, like that. And I feel even, you can tell, right now. If I jumped up right now, I may collapse. But, you know, Victor, it's so difficult. Life is so difficult. I mean, finances, you know. My wife. Tommy, it's just bad, isn't it? You just don't know. Hebrew says, have you resisted to the what? Shedding of what? blood. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week when a man, let's remember this. Can I say this without being heretical? Jesus is a man. This man, I'm sure, and we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think he's afraid to go to the cross. Jesus? Yes. Oh, Father. Oh, God. If it be possible. Don't have me go this way, please. The travail becomes a triumph. How many of us are travailing today? He has overcome. Can we go through whatever travail we are in or believe we are in with the triumph over our heads rather than that little cloud over our heads? Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week of the greatest confrontation between light and darkness. Palm Sunday is the week that begins with cheers and ends with jeers. 
that began with shouts of praise but ended with shouts of crucify him. That began with hope but ended with despair. That began with smiles and ended with tears. See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week that began with the disciples accompanying Jesus and ended with them abandoning him. It's the beginning of the week that would end with the death of this king. This king will die. And there, where is your victory, Israel, and your hope? See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week which would see the greatest suffering for the greatest victory. Well, what does Palm Sunday mean to me and to you? That's something of what it meant to Jesus. On Palm Sunday, you see, God set into motion. I understand he's been setting into motion, but now we're in high gear. We're in high cotton now. God has set into motion the events that would result in our salvation. Jesus came into the city to fulfill God's purpose of saving you and me. No other reason. Sin, no other reason. Palm Sunday is a day when Jesus willingly obeyed the will of God and laid his life down for his sheep so that his sheep may have his life forever. So let me read you just a couple of scriptures that are the result of him laying down his life that we may, he may give us his eternal life. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now. What? No. Mm. What? I'm sorry, I can't hear. Somebody yell. No. no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means this, that all the filth and the stuff that we still become involved with after we were saved, God knowing ahead of time, because he's on both sides of time, remember, he took our sin, the ones that we're going to commit tomorrow, hmm, and put them into Christ 2,000 plus years ago. So that when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. That means I have no condemnation. If you're still trying to work it up, create it up, trying to do whatever, you can just forget it. Just relax. What do you have to do? Well, certainly you have to do something. You have to obey the will of God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, what Julio will be saved. You've heard this morning something about hell and wrath and heaven and payment and forgiveness. If you're here today and God is telling you, don't take a chance because there ain't no chance. This is not a gambling affair. You either will or will not be with God. 
If you're beginning to feel that tightness around your throat and that tightness in your stomach because of fear of death and the consequences of hell, thank God. Thank God. Oh, you're trying to frighten me. I would do more than that to try to scare the hell out of all of us. <laughs> Why? <clears throat> because once hell's scared out, heaven comes in. That's right. I believe in hellfire preaching. And so did Jesus. As a result of Palm Sunday and the result of it, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are what? And everything has become new. It doesn't mean whitewashed new. <clears throat> that means a brand new created order. We in Christ have been spiritually, morally, relationally reconstituted in Christ. The old has been put to death. And trust me on this, Emily, that old ain't never coming out of the grave anymore. You know why? Because the Son of God's foot is on top of that grave. Yes, the Son of God's foot is on top of that grave. As a result, we become children of God. What does 1 John 3, 1 say? Oh, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us, me, James, on you, Nick, on you, John, on you, on you, 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 me. What love that we, Barry, should be called the children of God and so or such we are. And everybody who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he himself is pure. You see, as a result, Romans 8, 17, we are heirs with God, heirs of God and heirs with Christ. Solomon was the rightful heir to King David. We are the rightful righteousness in Christ because of his work and having been given to us as a gift. We are now the rightful <clears throat> heirs of the kingdom of God. You can just shut your mouth saying, oh, I just don't deserve it. I just don't deserve it. We know that. <laughs> but God said, you do deserve it. I decide whether you deserve it. I decide whether you deserve it. Not you. I make the decision. So Billy and myself, do I deserve this? Not a chance in a hmm. But what has happened? Nettie, God has declared. Paul, God has declared. Rick, God has declared what? We're worthy. Amen? Amen. Worthy. Worthy. Come on down, brothers. <clears throat> So what does this mean to us? Because of, Psalm, because of Palm Sunday, Jesus is going once again to return, but this time not on a donkey 
as a meek and mild sacrificial lamb, but as the victorious and conquering lion of God, the king of glory. Yes. Listen to Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open, <clears throat> and behold, <clears throat> a white horse. Whoop, not a donkey. No donkeys. A white horse. Listen, listen to this. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. He's coming back to separate, to separate his people from everyone else. To his people, enter into my kingdom, my beloved children. And to everyone else, I am here to make war against you. If you have never made a decision <clears throat> to receive Christ and to repent of your sin, having understood that you are under the wrath of God today, do it. Because truthfully, we don't know whether Jesus is coming back today. We don't know. Anybody know that for sure? Because of Palm Sunday, all of God's people will rejoice at the return of the king. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. And after this, John says, I looked. And behold, a great multitude, that's that number of the people of God in the clouds, that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. It's Palm Sunday again. It's Palm Sunday again. But this time... Palm Sunday ain't going to end in a bad way. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Today, two things. For those of us who are here because of Palm Sunday, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, let's rejoice. But if you are here and you're not redeemed, this is your time to do something that the Lord says, I want you to do it. I want you to receive Christ. I want you to pray for your sins to be forgiven. Now, I know that we live in a time when we're worried about everybody's opinion and everybody. You know, I'm not interested in that. I am only concerned about God's opinion. So may we put other things aside. Is God calling you today to become forgiven and washed? If he is while we sing, would you just come down here? We're not taking money. You're not joining in the group. We're simply praying and joining you as God births you into the kingdom of God. So if that's you, you come on down while we're singing. And Kirk will lead us, and then Kirk will end it. Thank you, man. Came to us a man, very nature God. 